and welcome to another episode of Cathode Ray Mission. Uh, as always, I am Will Scoville in Berkeley, California. With me uh, today is my co-host, Randy Heyer in Oklahoma City. Hey, Randy. Hey, Will. How's it going? Pretty good. What is your background right now? My background is my weed card. <laughs> you, so do you have to get a weed card in, in, in Oklahoma? Uh, yeah, it's medical only. Medical only? Yeah, but it's, so you, it's easy, though. So you have to go get, like, a printed license from, what, like a tag agency or something? Well, yeah. Um, I The way I did it was, like, it costs, like, if you just wanted to do it, I bet the price has gone down by now, but it was, like, 300 bucks or something. Jeez. And so they would have these drives at the state fairgrounds, and it was, like, walk in, basically get out with two for 200 and so... You like there was like two lines basically, and like you fill out the application, you walk in a line to the doctor, and then you get that, and then you walk in a line to get it turned in, and then it's just done for you basically. And then it, they they got it done like way fast. They said it was going to take like two weeks. It took like four days or something. Oh like my that. god, it was awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have we have recreational in California, and but when I moved here, it. We didn't have that, and so you did have to go book an appointment at a doctor. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have to get a card. You could. That was optional. You just had to have a letter from your doctor, um, and then the the dispensary would, like, register that, and then you could just come in for a year. Uh, and then a company started doing that over, essentially, Skype, <laughs> and that's how I did it, and it was super easy. And then now it's just recreational, so you don't even need that. Right. I mean, um, that's where so, we should all be headed, I hope, you know. But I think uh, it sounds like – I've read a few things, and it sounds like you're at least attempting out there to just move into that direction. I think they are, yeah. I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it's not good to say maybe, but once I got my medical card, it's like, well, you know, you guys figure it out for yourself. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm set with my thing. Yeah. You know? But, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it should just be legal straight up. But I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad I live in a state where we can at least get medical marijuana now. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty. Was, howdy. The, the fact that you all did that before Texas and New York were able to. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I um, mean, people do love weed here, but everyone was yeah. afraid to admit it, you know? Because, like, yeah. I remember being, you know, growing up, and everyone's, like, dad had, like, a little dugout or something. Well, not everyone, mm -hmm. dad, but a lot of people did. And, like, just remembering how we, even, even like, 10 years ago, were, like, scared about weed and scared mm -hmm. about cops and stuff. And, like, yeah, it's good. It's definitely something... I mean, obviously, now that it's basically decriminalized, we need to, like, you know, go back and, like, release anybody from prison right. who's in prison for, like, a marijuana related. I mean, in my opinion, any nonviolent drug-related crime is not right. a jailable offense, but, you know, whatever. That's yeah. I'm not the guy making the rules, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, kind of... Uh, without a segue, moving into our topic of this week, uh, this is uh, this one, and I believe the way I'm going to publish this next week as well is going to be another of your selections. And this one uh, is one that I had not seen before or really had any awareness of until you kind of brought it to my attention, but it's uh, Pow Wow Highway. Um, 
which is available at the time of this recording on the Criterion channel. Mm -hmm. Um, And Randy, why don't you give us a little bit of info uh, about this movie and why you picked it? Uh, Well, Powell Highway is a movie that I also, it's it's like a movie that you remember the cover of it, at least from like video stores and stuff. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I may. It's not one that really sticks out. Okay. To cool. me. Well, I just remember, I remember seeing the video of it at Hastings and being like, what's this movie? And just never renting it, you know? But um, I saw it a few years ago. I checked it out from the UCO library. And like the, the I, it makes me really happy to see it on the Criterion channel. I hope that they have plans for like a release or something. Or, I mean, just, I, I was watching it today. And I was just like, I demand a high-quality Blu-ray of this movie. <laughs> it's, like, ridiculous that the the DVD is all that has ever been, besides VHS, but, like, mm-hmm. DVD's the last format it came out on. It's, like, it goes for, like, 50-plus dollars used, and it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. So I'm excited to see it on here. But So I had only, I'm just saying I had only seen it kind of a few years ago, and um, I just finished my literature degree at at UCO and like the thing I focused in on most at the end was uh Native American Renaissance Mm -hmm. so I read lots of books and stuff this is based on a book by uh David Seals who was a Huron writer he died just a few years ago um this book is actually super hard to find too I've read a bunch a bunch of different novels by um, indigenous authors and this is one that like if I want it I have to pay about 30 bucks maybe from mm-hmm. Amazon to get it or I, yeah. think I could buy it from whatever university press keeps it in print or whatever you know so I I just to preface this if nobody's heard of this movie it's like don't worry it's unjustly obscure you know but it's mm-hmm. produced by George Harrison of the B- yeah. handmade films film and I don't know if you noticed the um, the homage to Repo Man, or I don't know which film is homaging which, but when he gets in the car, he grabs the Virgin Mary from the dashboard and throws it out the window, yeah, just like Emilio Estevez does in that other right. movie, which is also handmade films, right? Am I wrong about well, that? Isn't no, is you are Man wrong. Films? Oh, okay. No, uh, uh, Repo Man is uh, Mike Nesmith of the Monkees. God dang it. Well, yeah. that's why you guys come uh, but, here, you know. <laughs> uh, but Jonathan out. Wax. Yeah, Jonathan Wax, though, the director, um, is someone I am somewhat familiar with. First of all, uh, he does have a producer credit on Repo Man. Um, so all right, he is so there involved. is some connective tissue. Here. Yeah. What yeah. is Nesmith's company called? I don't know, but he, he was the one who eventually, um, he was putting together music video packages and then uh, he had done a music video album called Elephant Parts and then he did a TV uh, spinoff called Television Parts which then got sold to another company and got expanded into MTV and so he supplied a lot of the early music videos from his own personal collection uh, to the MTV in the early days wow. um, so yeah that all spinoff from Nesmith um, but yeah, Jonathan Wax, so he apparently is a credited as a producer on Repo Man, so he has connection both to the kind of uh, weird films that Nesmith and uh, George Harrison were putting out around the same time. Um, another of uh, Jonathan Wax's uh, films that he directed, there's only a handful, 
1993, Ed and His Dead Mother, mm-hmm. which is a family favorite of the Scobills. Yes, um, I know this, actually. You know, Sam has talked about this, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I think so, you have talked to me about it. Probably. Too. Yeah. So this is a weird movie. It's got, like, Ned Beatty and, and Steve Buscemi in it. Um, and it's is a weird it movie about... on HBO a lot. Yeah, and yeah, like I've my, seen it a bunch. Yeah. My my parents and my brother and I were out on vacation, and we we're staying in a in a in a hotel, and it was like it was a really nice hotel, and it was like way nicer than anything we had ever stayed in or have stayed in since as a family. Um, but it's like we were watching TV, about to go somewhere, and this movie comes on, and we all just kind of decided to watch it, and it was weird. Um, and really compelling, and we had never heard of Steve Buscemi before, and he really stuck out, and then so he kind of became, you know, in the early 90s, someone that I followed because of this movie. And so I watched his whole career kind of blossom and sought his movies out, which kind of tied me into the whole indie movie thing even further um, and kind of, like, got me much deeper into movies, like, more than I already was. Mm. So uh, it's a weird kind of linchpin in my like movie upbringing. Um, it, and, so it's interesting and, to see, yeah. An, yeah, to see another movie from the same director who has directed really just a handful of movies um, and, and to have this lineage of like handmade films uh, as well. Um, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I mean, as you were talking there, I was doing a little research because, wow, I'm so embarrassed by how I conflated those things. I'm not embarrassed. It's just, you know, the grand computer should needs a little dusting, I guess. My brain, <laughs> that is. But, like, yeah, I'm glad that I wasn't totally wrong. It is produced by Jonathan Wax and this McCarthy guy, Repo Man is. And yeah. being produced, executive produced by Nesmith. Her- mm-hmm. I see why I messed that up. But Yeah, hey, I mean, it's it's... Go ahead. Go ahead. Like no, Handmade Films is is a really interesting company. Um, it was created by George Harrison essentially to release the life of Brian yes. when nobody else would release it. And they released uh, one of my favorite movies ever, The Long Good Friday. Two of my favorite because oh, yeah. the movie we're talking about today, spoiler alert, is one of my favorite movies ever. Oh, and also Mona Lisa. God damn. Yep. Uh, uh, Bob Hoskins. Uh, I think he directed that too. Um, no, he well uh, Neil Neil Jordan. He directed the Ragged okay. Ronnie, who which was really that's right. Made films. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they did with Neil and I, and how to get ahead in advertising. Mm-hmm. And then they did Time Bandits. Uh, yes, which is w- one that I loved growing up. Me too. Um, yeah, so um, a really cool, a really neat um, library over at Handmade um, with that connection. And then uh, one thing I noticed about because having kind of a connection. And we'll kind of talk about the plot, I guess, in a minute. But um, one thing I really liked about this movie and kind of handmade films in general is that they have really interesting soundtracks um, with like this music that normally would have cost quite a bit of money. And I think it's the connection to George Harrison uh, that made that possible. And so one thing I kind of learned about in film school was how to sell your movie you know, by attaching it to a big star or something. Uh, a movie like this maybe was already made and didn't have any, like, huge stars in it, uh, although a few of them have kind of gone on to become bigger stars since. Uh, but, um, you know, Jonathan Pearson, who wrote the book Spike, Mike, Slackers, and Dykes, yes. kind of about the 90s indie scene, um, 
there's this thing about him, you know, kind of uh, helping Clerks and Kevin Smith kind of launch his career with Clerks. And one thing that he did was negotiate getting a, I think, Soul Asylum song into the movie and tied into the movie soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and like and Alice so, in Chains and shit, I think. Right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so having this soundtrack with like artists who are already well known and you could like say, oh, well, this Alice in Chains song shows up on this soundtrack. You should buy the soundtrack. But what's the what's the movie that it's a soundtrack for? And so suddenly it's a marketing tool for this movie that otherwise has no other sellable qualities. Um, and so I think that's what he was kind of doing here because the soundtrack in this is, I don't know, something that a certain contingency of people would seek out. I guess yeah, it features an original song written by Robbie Robertson featuring you too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like 89. Mm -hmm. so that's like rattle and hum. I mean, you two is about as famous as they would be in that era until mm -hmm. I guess they, they continue to be famous, but you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like, that's a really good era for you two in my opinion. Right. And, and yeah. So, and so having this kind of original song in this very indie movie um, is pretty interesting. Um, so I think we should talk about the plot of, of this movie uh, a bit because it, it is a very interesting plot and a very uh, somewhat unconventional story set in a very conventional road movie setting. Um, yeah. And so, Randy, why don't you kind of like give us a little overview of, of how this begins? Well, okay, the the movie is basically about these two guys, Buddy Redbow, who's an activist who was at like Wounded Knee in Ogala and he fought in um, Ogala. Forgive me if I mispronounce anything on this episode, but he fought in Vietnam and he's basically like, I don't know. I, I fucking love A. Martinez in this movie. He plays Buddy Redbow. He's just like, He's just like kind of like a badass with a heart of gold is I guess the best way to put what this character is like. But he's basically, he like, he's lost his, he's not like, I guess that's not the way to put it. He's lost sort of touch with his roots, mm -hmm. but he is a really respected person in the tribe and at the reservation. And he's like, they're kind of, he's staying there to like fight for their best interest against these developers and like the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and like stuff like that. So there's this character. And then meanwhile, there's this other dude who has like this wonderful, I mean, talk about, just talk about two, two of the best performances in any movie ever. And like, I just, I love, I've, Spoiler alert, I know I said this earlier, but I love this movie. Yeah. Like, Gary Farmer is this other dude, and they're, like, buddies. They go way back. There's flashback to, like, when they were children and shit. And meanwhile, he's kind of going... He's kind of becoming... He's, like, he's an adult, I guess, but I don't know. He's just kind of going on a journey himself mm -hmm. where he is deeply connecting back with the roots of his tribe and his people mm -hmm. and stuff in the old ways. And he buys a car. He has like kind of like a vision basically that he buys a car 
And there's all this like wonderful stuff where like he sees this like it's like this shitty car, and it'll cut to this like pony, you know, like a horse or something, just like galloping. And it's like there's all these moments in the movie that do this, and it's just awesome. He buys this like total beater car, <laughs> and all of this um, is happening simultaneously with in Santa Fe. They're in um. They're in, like, northern Montana, basically. Mm -hmm. These two men in this reservation, this Cheyenne reservation. And meanwhile, uh, Buddy Redbow's sister in Santa Fe is... And the movie is kind of vague on this. I like that the movie... Actually, when... Um, what's Gary Farmer's name? Oh, Filbert. When yeah. Filbert buys the car, he buys it with, like, a sack of weed. Yeah. And, like, just some other, like, not money, really. Like, coins, maybe. But, like... This movie is pretty, like, non-judgmental about shit like that, which is mm -hmm. I thought was pretty cool, you know, especially for, like, a movie in, like, 89. There's other things about this that are, like, kind of radical, I think, actually. Right. Um, but um, anyway, she's basically... I. It's sort of vague on, like, well, it doesn't look like the cops put the weed in her car necessarily, but it's also like, fuck you, you know, for yeah. getting into my car without a warrant. So I'm not right. exactly sure if the drugs were planted or not, but his sister, Buddy Rebo's sister is arrested in Santa Fe and he needs mm -hmm. to like get down there and bail her out with like $2,000 or something like that. Right. And he happens to have this money to buy livestock for his tribe. He's been entrusted with this money. And so when all this shit just lines up and his friend Philbert, who is sort of like, like Buddy Redbow is like clearly like the cool dude, you know, and mm -hmm. he's like popular and like he's actually like an activist. He does things. He gets shit done. And Philbert is kind of like seems like kind of I don't know if he's I don't know. He's just like a really like he doesn't leave his house really or leave the reservation. Mm -hmm. He lives with his aunt. Or his, he just, like, seems like a dude who never really, like, took off, you know? Yeah. And that's, like, their dynamic where Buddy Redbo is basically, like, like, Philbert, like, worships him, you know? And so Buddy Redbo knows that. And he's like, hey, Philbert, is this your car? He's like, yeah. And he's like, well, will you drive me to Santa Fe, basically? Right. And he's like, yeah, sure, you know? And they go off on this trip, but the dynamic between the two shifts like completely by the end, I would say, well, it doesn't shift yeah. levels out, I guess yeah. where they treat, that's just like one arc of the film, but one of the big things, like by the end of the movie, they both respect each other and love each other like brothers and shit. And it's like, it's fucking, it's such a good movie, dude. Yeah. It, God damn, it, it's good. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, that's, that's kind of the gist of the movie, but it's really one of those movies where, it's, you know, the journey of these two guys and the development of who they are and the discovery of the audience of finding out who they are as well um, is really kind of the, the, the main draw of the, this whole movie and kind of, you know, their time together and who they meet. Because, um, you know, one thing should be said, they don't go directly to Santa Fe. Uh, they take a pretty big detour early on. Uh, and this is due to, as you kind of mentioned, uh, Filbert has these visions. And, you know, there is the vision when he first sees the car of, uh, you know, the pony and everything and the connection to his ancestry and everything. Mm -hmm. But there are these other spots where he is experiencing these um, 
these signs that kind of lead him towards uh, those those places. Um, like, it's borderline like magical realism, right? right. Like but, the way they depict it and stuff. Because when we fir- are first introduced to Filbert, he comes into the bar and he's watching the television and there's this used car salesman on there in a full headdress, you know, white guy, uh, kind of pretending to be an Indian and using it to sell used cars. Well, that's his message, though, uh, that he needs to go search for the car. Um, and then later on, they have the CB and he talks to someone very briefly named White Cloud, who leads him to uh, the Dakotas to go to the sacred place. And then finally seeing Bonanza on the TV um, in a convenience store, which shows him how to, you know, yep. pull the bars off the jail cell yep. and, and free Bonnie. Um, like amazing, you know, they, like, yeah, they yeah. use, they build up all these things and they call back to them like beautifully. And yeah. Stuff. And I think that I really, I'm really into that. And another movie that I really kind of love that does a similar thing is Frail, Frailty. Uh, the Bill Paxton. With Bill Paxton. Oh, dude, I love yeah. royalty. Well, it's we'll so good. Do that on this podcast, yeah. dude. But it's you know it also includes a very major vision that that sets everything off, and the way that he does that is simply showing a shine, a reflection of light on a trophy, and that's it, and just mm-hmm. focusing on that, and that that's all you see, and then he interprets the message out of that, without any sort of like angel coming and like telling him something. Yeah. Um, it's really incredible and really powerful and doing the same thing in this movie, but much more low key. Um, and I think that's really, you know, it's almost like if you, you could almost miss it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but, uh, I will give a shout out also to Gary Farmer in this. I love Gary Farmer. Gary Farmer is, dude, we should build a time machine in order to go <laughs> back in time and give him all the acting awards of the year for this movie. Well, that and then I, I got introduced to Gary Farmer in high school when Dead he, Dead Man, he plays nobody in Dead Man. Me too. Um, and that's like, another performance that is amazing. It's so good. It's just like, I'm like, who is this guy? And, and um, you know, kind of seeing him pop up occasionally. Uh, he's in a movie they did on MST3K, uh, Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. He has a small part in that movie. Oh, it does Walt- he? Dude, yeah, I, love, he's, I wrote a song and I used that as a title, actually. That's oh, great. really? I love that title and I love... That movie is so goofy. <laughs> Raul Julia. When it's like suddenly like he's he's like virtual reality like a monkey and it's just like... <laughs> it's like old like old footage of like a monkey and... Like it's just him, him like him with a voiceover. Voice. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, man. And like... <laughs> that's the kind of filmmaking style we'll be talking about for the next... Maybe oh yes! Oh for yes! For sure. But um, anyway, um, yeah. So this movie, it it really does kind of. I I did really enjoy it. I did enjoy seeing another, you know, a couple other uh, Native American actors show up in this one. Uh, West Studi shows up pretty early yeah. on, um, who has who of course went on to be on like Dances with Wolves and I think Geronimo and, and he's from Tulsa. And, from Tulsa, and then and then he's. I think he was on Battlestar for a bit. Um, oh yeah, dude. I mean, he's. I think he's. He, um, he's like a nominated. He's a real yeah. respected actor. Oh, also um, Mi- Mystery Man, one of my favorites. Uh, he's in that movie as well. Studies in that. Oh hell yeah! Hell he's yeah! Phoenix. <laughs> and then Graham Green. Graham Green shows up. Is, uh, I mean, 
That dude's in everything. He's There's so many parts of this movie that made me cry, you know? Yeah. Like, well, just like, not cry. When I say cry, I don't mean like I weep, you know, but like just like tears like streaming down my face and stuff. <laughs> like the, the Graham Greene part, and when just the shot of when Buddy goes and dances, it's like, man, this movie is deep. Yeah. It's like, but it's super funny too. Yeah, it is. And so it's a kind of like, um, where that comes from is so, um, uh, Philbert gets a message to on a CB while while uh, Buddy is asleep in the car to go visit this sacred place that's way off their path, and um, so they go. Uh, Buddy realizes where they are, gets kind of mad, but they meet another couple in the parking lot of this area who tell them about a Christmas powwow. Um, and then they go stay at their friend's place named uh, Wolf's Tooth. And they all go to this powwow, which is being held in like a high school gym. Um, and you get to see kind of some of the dynamic of that community uh, running into people that they already knew. Um, you know, some of the drama that's kind of pushing Wolftooth and his wife off of the reservation and going to move to the suburbs. Oh, and those two actors, I don't even know who they are, but I love yeah. the guy who plays Wolftooth and... He's, he does so much with, like, a little role. They both yeah. do, but, like, where he sort of judges Filbert at first because he's like, mm. oh, do I know you from Oglala or uh, Wounded Knee or did you fight in Vietnam? Like, because that's how Buddy knows mm -hmm. from other stuff, too. And it's like, he's like, no, I wanted to go, you know. Or he says something, and it's like, when Filbert is just so... Like you love him so much, yeah. And he say he's just so vulnerable, and like, yeah. When he says that, it's like you feel bad for him, and you, I, feel, I empathize with him. I feel yeah. There's moments in my life where it's like I wanted to be there, and like, why wasn't you know? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. God, Gary Farmer is just doing like, it's, <laughs> it's legit. It's like, it's some of the best acting ever. Like, yeah. And A. Martinez also is just like, fuck, he's he's good. I wish they would have made an action movie with him, like, at the <laughs> same time. Yeah. It's like the movie. Oh, yeah. It borders on action. It could kick well, into action at a few points, and it doesn't quite, but it's, I don't know. I think that the interesting thing is that, like, A. Martinez, like, Buddy is, is he, you know, he's a hothead. He's stealing from the tribe, essentially, to get his sister out of jail. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he's just kind of like, I hope it works out. Like, I don't know what his plan is. He's like abandoning a lot of his, his, you know, heritage, in a, it, while he's standing up for it in a certain way, because he's kind of jaded about what you know how shit's gone. Um, but it causes him a lot of trouble, you know. Kind of uh, in the uh, an example is like they go and buy a stereo for for Filbert's car. Um, using the, the money, scenes. using the money that they're supposed to use to bail out his sister that was given to him to buy cattle from the tribe. They um, drop like 800 bucks between right. the clothes and the stereo equipment. Right. And so they do this and <coughs> they have a moment where yeah. like they can't figure out how to turn it on. 
and they're saying it doesn't work. So he goes in there and starts beating the shit out of the salesman. <laughs> and like, give me the money back. Yeah. Open that register. Uh, and it's just like they didn't turn the, the fucking stereo and, on. So. And it keeps cutting back to um, Philbert. Who pulls up the owner's manual? Yeah, and the way it's shot is so like it's all location. I mean, this is Montana that they shot it in, but like, you're from Oklahoma. I'm from a small town in Oklahoma. Just like this main street and yeah. the openness oh, yeah. of it, and like also when it showed the powwow. I mean, that's something that we truly got to enjoy as kids. That like I took for granted. I didn't realize that other kids everywhere else didn't like every year go to like a powwow assembly, you know, at school and stuff like that. I didn't. And didn't? I mean, you no. I mean, oh, I lived, did? I lived in the Northwest side of OKC. So that was okay. not as present uh, as it probably was. Uh, you're kind of like in the North Northeast, right? Um, uh, yeah. Just like no I'm Ponca city. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Okay. Well, wow. But um. no, I mean, it, it even kind of shows like kind of the separation of that within. I mean, we got it uh, every couple of years or so we'd have a special thing, but it wasn't a school wide assembly. We just didn't have the, the native population at, at my school Yeah. or in the area, really. I mean, because so. I did truly like love that. I mean, that shit like the ri- I mean, I don't mean to I'm <laughs> this is like a total like I just really. I really like it a lot. Like the music yeah. and stuff and like the rhythms and shit. And like, I love like voice, voice and rhythm music only. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the, all the music is created from that and like feet and shit. Yeah. Dancing. It's like fucking odd. Like just seeing that yeah. scene really, really took me back. And like, yeah, I was, this movie, it's important. I think. Yeah. It's just like, it shows you a lot of things that you don't see and it also shows you things i mean what would you think about the part when they drive by mount rushmore that was interesting uh and i really caught that on the second time i watched it through it's so fast uh, it's it's fast and it's not the usual view that you see it's all you really see is the profile of washington sides they drive past it it's a big fuck you yeah and it's like you you get to see the surrounding mountain area um, and see how how much it doesn't fit in to the rest of the of the surrounding. It's unnatural, you know. It's like this not, you know. It's yeah. It, it was really interesting to see that. It punctuates Again. a scene. It's directly after a scene, a long sequence in which Filbert drives to Noah's. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mispronouncing things, but. In the movie, they talk about, like, because, um, what was his name? White Cloud? Yeah, White Cloud on the CB. Yeah, so he's talking to White Cloud on the CB, and he's like, White Cloud, that's like, you know, he's like the Jesus Christ of the Cheyenne, basically. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you should go to the Black Hills, to the Noahs. Like, that's where White Cloud got all of his power or whatever, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. it's like the whole, like, the holiest place, basically, to the Cheyenne. And so, yeah. like, while Buddy Redbow is sleeping, he, like, instead of turning to Denver, he drives there. And then he, like, right. he climbs the mountain. He sits in this, like, cool fort thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I'm sure there's, like, a term for it and everything. And he has a vision there. And, like, when the vision's done, there's a, a coyote standing right in front of him. Yeah. 
that to me was like, I mean, there's so many moments in this movie that's just like took my took my breath away, honestly. Like just like yeah. oh, filmmaking, you know. And then he yeah. climbs the mountain and he is about to eat a Hershey's bar and he discovers that everyone that climbs the mountain leaves an offering, so he leaves his bar. And and then and then after all that all this like beautiful and it's like all this majestic, the score is very like new age sounding. Yeah. In like a great way. Like I love this. I thought the score was just amazing. And yeah, you might be right, it's like a totally like tacked on thing afterwards to sell the movie, but it's great, dude. I mean Yeah, it it worked. I mean it, it definitely set a mood for the and it, and it kinda gave a lot more to me, you know, it it's this was like a very cheap movie, you could tell. And having that music in there really lent a lot of legitimacy, both to the in- entire film and to those scenes specifically. Absolutely. And so it, it really, it really does, you know, kind of make that scene a lot more, uh, have a lot more impact. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, you see him standing there and then at the end of that, the, then they show that Mount Rushmore scene where it's just from the side. Right. They're just like, it's just like, I don't know. That's it. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go on. Um, so I think we're about at a half hour. So why don't we uh, take a break <laughs> and then come back with the big roundup? All right, let's do it. Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Annie. Have you ever enjoyed a palaver? Is it good to be the dog's dinner? Who is this Bob, and why is he your uncle? For the answers to all these questions, you'll have to listen to our podcast, Boo to a Goose, breaking down British and American expressions and idioms. We use them, define them, and explain their history, all in a short, digestible format. So go ahead and check out Boo to a Goose wherever you get your podcasts. Cheerio! That means goodbye. Hey everybody, my name's Dane. And I'm Jimmy. And our podcast is called Bubbling Questions. We do would-you-rathers from listeners and a Twitter bot. Along with one-person game shows using ridiculous stuff we find on the internet. Like what kind of ridic are we talking? <laughs> I shall not tell you. Okay, all from our very real hot tub. Oh yeah, 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 very real, uh, not a gimmick at all. <laughs> find Bubbling Questions wherever you get podcasts. And I'm Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back and here for the big roundup. Uh, so, Randy, ah. let's do our uh, rating on a one to five. What would you rate this movie? I am going to rate this a perfect five out of five. If you follow me on Letterboxd, it's in my top four. I think it's number one. Honestly, Ooh. this movie hits a lot. It doesn't hit everything I love about movies. It's not... But it hits so many things I love about movies. I think this movie deserves to be as beloved as any classic from the 80s, E.T. included. Like, I think that kids should see this movie. It has some swearing in it. There's, like, some some male butts, like, for as, like, it's, like, <laughs> funny, you know? Like, that's yeah. where Gary Farmer gets up and he's just naked. Uh, and then he says... Like there's, I think there's one F word. It's when he's like, I'm gonna use it to pull the fucking bars out of the wall or whatever. And yeah, that's just like one of the most triumphant. Like it's anti-police. It's oh yeah. Anti-government. It's anti-colonialist. It's 
It's fucking kind of a history lesson. It sort of reminds me of, have you ever seen the movie Highway 61, the Bruce McDonald movie, where he's like, the whole thing is like, Highway 61 is the history of American music, and they kind of talk about as they go down. Oh, yeah. This is like sort of the history of, you know, the way, you know, indigenous people have been treated, especially in the West, in the, like, like 19th and 20th century. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there's that part where they just show a plaque where it shows history of um, the tribes being forced to um, migrate from Oklahoma to Montana and dying in the winter and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, they just linger on that and just show you. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it features some of the, I think, A. Martinez and Gary Farmer. The, The scene where he's telling the story... I can't even. I'm not even going to talk about it because I can't talk about that scene without tearing yeah. up, getting choked up. But there's a scene in this movie. There's so many scenes in this movie that are amazing. Yeah, five out of five stars. Five out of five. My, uh, my favorite movie ever. Woo! I uh, I will give this. Uh, I may have given it something different on Letterbox, but it's around this. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Uh, as you know, three is. Uh, a you know solid pick from me. You can I would suggest any movie out of my three star picks to anybody. Um, but you're kind of in for a mixed bag uh, when you draw from that because I kind of put a lot of stuff there that's worth watching. Um, so you know it's uh, it's a good pick. So I'm gonna do this three and a half, a uh, little extra half, a little bump there after the second time I watched it, um, mostly for Gary Farmer because I really love that dude. Um, And so, yeah, I would really recommend this. Um, It's not your conventional movie. It's not a party movie by any means. But if you're looking for something to kind of sit through, um, a good road movie, a good, a very good American road movie, um, this is great. This is really, and you get to see all these like, you know, all these guys who are fairly big stars kind of doing this small movie. And it's really great. So, yeah, three and a half. Yeah. It's, this movie is something. It's it's special because there are not a lot of movies that are about um, indigenous Indian Native American people. Mm-hmm. There's smoke signals. Yeah. There's skins made by the same director. Then there's this movie that Sherman Alexie made that's impossible to find. Although Sherman Alexie. Obviously, it was people know it was me too, pretty hardcore, but yeah. so, uh, <laughs> uh, last year. But um, then there's like, I don't know, you tell me, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's so, it's it's pretty limited, and you know, it's there and it exists, it just does not get the kind of spotlight or release. And a lot of these are very, you know, um. You know, they're very cheap movies a lot of times, and they, you know, they deal with stuff very directly, and it's not, quote-unquote, marketable uh, to release these things, so. That's true, but you keep bringing up that it's low budget and it was cheaply made, and that is true, but I will say, this is, like, this is good low-budget filmmaking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's, like, it's all shot on these beautiful locations, and, I mean, the screenplay is wonderful in my opinion and mm-hmm. the acting is great and it's just like 
it's sort of like it builds this mood too. It's it's really funny, but it's very serious at mm-hmm. times, and it turns very quickly between the two. And then it has like a part where a Martinez throws a windshield at a cop car and it flips <laughs> over, and cops make you die, and who cares? It's funny, and it rules, and they deserve it. And then, you know, I mean, it's like it's sort of like I don't, I don't even know what. I, Cause it's like, it's so much, I was about to compare it to like Goonies or Adventures in Babysitting, but it's so much deeper than those movies, but it has sort of a similar feel and funness Mm -hmm. to it, in my opinion, maybe E.T. or something. I mean, I do sort of, and that is, I will say on my letterbox, my four favorite movies are Pow Wow Highway, E.T., Blood in the Face, and Friday the 13th. But I do think it has sort of a similar quality to me, and I I don't know. So I don't want anyone to be discouraged when you hear. I just, you know, I want to put an asterisk on it being low budget because don't be discouraged. Be, be encouraged because it's a good low budget movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no money. I, I think that, you know, it's just noticing the limitations of, of a movie and where it tries to go and what it does best with the resources it has. Um, I like seeing that a lot. I like seeing that, you know, where, you know, if you, they had more money, they could have done this better, but they didn't. So this is how they do it. And I think we're going to talk about that a lot on our next movie as well. Um, cool. So that's just that's uh, but my no. taste, though. Like I will always. Yeah. I love somebody that tries more than somebody that had money and did a bad job. Or Absolutely, just an okay job. If you didn't right. do an amazing job with money, then fuck you. But like this person <laughs> had no money and made. May one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, great. And so, uh, I think we want to do some recommendations. Do you have any recommendations for uh, for <laughs> well, this like one? I said, Smoke Signals. It's based on Sherman Alexie. I mean, he's deeply involved with the movie. That movie is. It's very important because it's like the first movie to have like, like everyone was indigenous that so worked on the movie. Mm-hmm. Like from like PAs up and stuff. So like yeah. and this movie does not have like David Seals was like Huron uh but the person who adapted the screenplay and Jonathan Wax are like white men, you know. Yeah. Although the actors are whatever, you know. I mean No, they're they're a mix too, and like Gary Farmer is a Canadian tribe, so it's not even uh any tribe I, I think that existed within the U.S. borders, um, and so yeah, I mean, and then he's playing a Cheyenne, you know, person from. I don't uh, think Chandra. either A. Martinez or no. Gary Farmer are Cheyenne, but I mean, I don't know that Adam Beach is Kurt Elaine, honestly, for Smoke Signals, though. Either, yeah, you know, yeah. And I don't know. I honestly don't know if that matters at fucking all, you know? I don't know either, yeah. It's like maybe it's the difference between, like, whatever, dude. I'm I'm now drowning in the deep end here. But I will say... I know, yeah. Smoke Signals is a... Gary Farmer's in it. It's a really good movie. It has a great performance by this dude who's not in a lot of stuff. He's actually in... Sherman Alexie's movie that he made, like, shot on digital video. It's, like, extremely low budget. 
Mm-hmm. And you think you can maybe down, like, I mean, he's like, a sex, he's a sex pest, you know, so why don't you just steal that movie on the internet if you want to see it? You know, it's called The Business of Fancy Dancing. But, you know, I would say, like, Skins, but then also just road movie-wise, uh, Stranger Than Paradise. This movie had um, sort of a similar feel to it in some way. Not, not at all the same kind of movie, but, you know, there's moments of it. And then, you know, good fun stuff that teach kids fun lessons, you know, like uh, E.T., I guess <laughs> this movie show this yeah show this to people this was a good movie I, I love Powell I I think I would second Stranger Than Paradise which has kind of the you know the road element and the same kind of bonding with other people uh, you know that was directed by Jim Jarmusch uh, so it was Dead Man who which also features Gary Farmer in uh, quite a different role but a very similar um, kind of attitude towards her- his heritage. Uh, in that, in that, but uh, playing a very different character. Uh, that movie's got Johnny Depp in it, so you know, be aware of that when you're going into it, based on your opinion of him. Dead man. Uh, yes. Yep. Um, but he is quite good in that movie, uh, regardless. Um, also has some great uh, performances. I think one of the last films that Robert Mitchum was in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got uh, Lance it's a, Hendrickson in it. Um, I mean, you, no arguments from me, dude. Neil Young did the score. Yeah, it's like a god level. It's like it's kind of one of the things that made me want to get into music and scoring music mm-hmm. in particular. Is Neil Young's score for Dead Man? Dead Man's a great movie. It really is. It's it's something that like a black and white western that will capture capture the attention of a you know sixteen year old undiagnosed ADD Will Scoville um, and allow him to sit through, you know, a two plus hour movie. Um, And then even when I was coming back to film school in San Francisco in my edit, my first editing class, we had to like break down a movie. We had to, we had to log every single edit from a movie, every single cut. And that was the movie I chose to, to, to take. It was just an exercise too. And it was just, I had to go through the whole movie and put a time code to every cut um, Hell yeah! So, ooh, boy, I've watched that movie very closely. Um, yeah. Somebody should just pick like rope. Did somebody was somebody like a smart yes. ass? Yep. Okay. I think. Well, that may have been like off limits. But is, is rope the one that's like one shot? The Hitchcock, like there's long. One yeah, and there's there is like cuts in there, but they're masked to look right. like. Uh, uh, single shots, and then I think there's one or two actual cuts in there, uh, visible cuts. So uh, well, I've seen that movie once. So <laughs> sorry if I fumbled the ball to the listeners too about what I was talking about. Sherman Alexi, I don't, you know, I don't know, guys. Fuck that guy is all I meant to say. If I didn't, make- nah, I mean, whatever. I had read uh, his books before that happened, and I loved them. So yeah, like, you know what? You know, I don't know. I think that's Fuck, the 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 sign of like that guy. Fuck that guy and like don't get yeah now now that you know I mean that's a hard thing about a lot of this is you know you gotta I mean I I like plenty of stuff that has now been realized was made by people who are absolute monsters and it's just kind of you gotta let go of it and it's just hard sometimes because you might really like it or it may have had a, an, an impression on you in your development but you know man yeah. Well, actually, yeah. 
if you would, I know we're running long, man, but just just for uh, the sake of talking about some some lit real quick and Sherman Alexi or whatever alternatives to Alexi, you could check out David True or Little. How about any book by James Welch? My favorite book of all time, Winter in the Blood. Uh, Louise Erdrich, uh, written many great books, Tracks, uh, Leslie Marmon Silco, Ceremony. All these people are on the level, intensely talented, wonderful, indigenous authors. Oh, Oklahoma's in Scott Momaday, writer of House Made of Dawn. So, you know what? I just want to say, like, check those books out, maybe. Yeah. I also want to mention that we are recording this since the Supreme Court ruling uh, that yes. essentially gave uh, what, like Native Americans authority over a large uh, section of Oklahoma. Including Tulsa. Um, including Tulsa, which is it's very interesting. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out over the next couple of decades, actually. Um, so I don't think this is the last uh, those parties have been pulled into court. I think there's going to be a lot of untangling of stuff uh, and a lot of renegotiation of a lot of stuff. So, And I think it's not going to stop in Oklahoma. I think it's going <laughs> to... Let it go. Yep. Uh, As it's definitely gonna said, let it burn, <laughs> let it burn. Right. So I think this, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see that uh, play out and wh what that means for kind of everything that we have been used to and how you know we have to learn to live with some changes. It's gonna be tough, but you'll get through it. I promise. You just gotta be cool. Don't let this shit shake out. <laughs> yes. People have been hurt, so let them let them have their what they're owed. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. Yeah. So we should probably end this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Before it gets too much darker. So as uh, always, Black Lives Matter. Yep. I'm right. Higher. Reagan. Randy. Bush. Anything you want to promote? Anything else? Anything? That's you it. Got That's all up? I want to say. Okay, cool. Uh, you can find all of our cool stuff, all of our social media in the show notes. We're trying to keep up on uh, social for this show, but it's hard enough to keep up on my social media. Um, so, yeah, dude, ap apologies. I, know, I could, I'm sorry, I could try better to on that. Maybe, yeah, it's, fine. yeah. I'm having a um, fun time doing this with you, Will. May we have here. 20 more episodes or wherever yep. we're at right now. All right. Well, so we'll catch you next week. Uh, new movie, uh, new topic, and we'll talk to you then. Bye.